If I live to be a hundred, I'll never be able to forget that big snowstorm a couple of years ago. The weather closed in and, well, you might not believe it, but the world almost missed Christmas. Ah, I love this Christmassy time of year, especially when everything is running happy and smooth like it is this season. Nothing like that year of the big snowstorms. I don't know what we would have done without... Back to the bins. ...to pull us through. Anyway, could it be that some of you are not acquainted with the story of... Back to the bins. Well, pull up an ice block and lend an ear. Back to the bin. Hello, What's ladies. Oh, nice you can make it. <laughs> What's up? Are you mad at us? Are you still mad? I'm furious at you. I warned you. I told you that what we what books we did. Hey, I saw that uh, that Mark Hombach sent you two new issues of F Troop. You couldn't review that shit while I well, no no. You got you got to purposely go with books that you know that I'd want to be here for. Uh, I think I don't remember for sure, but I think originally you were going to be on that episode, and then you had to bail for some reason. Something like you know your wife wanted to have sex. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, married 20 years. That must not happen that often. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I would have been pissed if I missed out on that, too. I'm pissed whenever I miss anything. Ah, yeah, this is text, true. From text to speech. I found it, Paul. Okay, where is that? Uh, here, I'll put a link in the thing. Yeah, why don't you put the link in the thing? Yeah, yeah why don't you put your link in my thing? <laughs> I'd like to keep my link as far from your thing as I can. Yeah, yeah let's, let's keep it that way. I have a description that I'll save as to who the lady is, so that way I, I can get. I want to tell you now. That way I can get a chuckle out of it. Or or not. Oh yeah 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 yeah. You're you're That's confident all... you're getting a chuckle. I'm I'm yeah yeah definitely okay. because because once you once I say it and you see the picture of the woman, you'll go yeah okay yeah. <laughs> I will have the picture of the woman open when you say it. And you will laugh, or you'll have your muted thing th- thing muted, and you'll act like you're not laughing, or whatever. You know what I mean. I'm going to tell you now. I'm not going to mute, and we'll see if I laugh. I actually want to see MODOK in a Marvel movie played by Louis Anderson now. I really want that to happen. <laughs> I want to start a movement. Uh, oh, I got to have an epi- you guys told me that he's actually still alive, because I thought he was dead. I did, too. I was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know at first that he was still alive, either. And I was like, oh, wow, he's still alive. What do you know? I could have uh, swear I, that I read his obituary at one point. Yeah, it was probably just wishful thinking. <laughs> I think of the other fat guy. <laughs> you mean like but, all of them? John Candy. I thought he was on. Uh, he was on Family Feud, and then he killed himself or something. No, that was the. No, other that guy. was the other guy. What's his name? Coombs. Yeah, the other guy that wasn't fat, but he was on Family Feud, but he didn't kill himself. It was the other guy that was on Family Feud that killed himself, not Richard Dawson or Steve Harvey. Right. <laughs> Although Steve Harvey pretty much killed his career. <laughs> Did he have a career? Maybe, I don't know. He's said to be a, an incredibly nice guy, though. Louis Anderson or Steve Harvey? Steve Harvey. Oh. 
Louis Anderson's a prick, right? I was just going to say, I heard he was a real asshole. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, I was just kidding. I don't know if he is or not. No, he's I, not I, I've heard he's that. He's not a jolly fat man? Get out of I my face. He's, Get out I of my face, you f***ing kid. I think he's bitter <laughs> about his career not really going anywhere. Mm. I mean, for a time there, he was like the flavor of the month because he had life with Louis and all that shit, but then all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared off the radar. It was just kind of hard for somebody his size. <laughs> How many pages is your story? Mine? It's like 10. 10? Yeah, 10. You got a problem with that? I'll come over to Tampa right now. I only see two pages. That's oh, because you're lame. It's because you're, you're too busy looking at Louis Anderson. Well, where does it start? <laughs> I don't know. It, oh, starts after the, it starts after the first story ends. Oh, there it is. There it is. It's up, it's up there. Okay. I, I was only looking at the last two pages. I didn't see the beginning of the story. That's why I was like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, apparently. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So I heard something in this new Batman Superman movie. Uh, it just makes me not want to see it even more. That I guess Commissioner Gordon's going to be dead in the movie, like he's already died. There's was he some... dead? Was he dead in the Dark Knight uh, Returns or whatever? No. Well, what's his name? Well, his that's daughter a... was the commissioner. Was he dead? What do you mean? In the the Frank Miller book. Oh, in the Frank Miller in the Frank Miller book. I don't know. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he's in the Dark Knight. What? You're talking uh, the Dark Knight. Yeah. Or are you? Thinking- uh, I remember him being in it. I don't know if he was still commissioner or not, but I'm, sure. I know James no, Gordon I, was in it. I think you're. Th- no, you're thinking about Batman Beyond. Barbara Gordon, I think, was the commissioner in Batman Beyond. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah. But no, I know Gordon is in um, Dark Knight, though. I, I remember that because there's the scene where he and Bruce are out to dinner or in a bar or some shit right at the beginning of the story. It's a gay bar. And that, <laughs> and that's when Bruce has his flashback to his parents' murder. Yeah, no, like, there must have just been a barrel of laughs because anything you say would trigger that flashback. <laughs> yeah, I was with this chick, and I gave her a pearl necklace. Oh, my parents! Yeah, oh. he just bursts into tears every time you start talking about anything. Hey, you want to go see Zorro? <laughs> that George Hamilton Zorro movie was great. <laughs> Pussy. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Batman. Party pooper galore. All right, so we're going to do this because it's already almost 10. Yeah, um, I'm good to go. I have right. eaten. I'm fueled. I'm ready to roll. We got we, we, we to get this done before you decide to get rid of the fuel. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, well, I've already been venting exhaust, if that's what you mean. Yeah, that's, Thermal, what, that's what I mean. Thermal exhaust port, one meter wide. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Oh, and if Christmas you tree. Out, oh, Christmas tree. <laughs> our time this is our special Christmas episode of Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by a very jolly Dr. Bill Robinson. La, 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 la. And a merry Scott Gordon. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. Merry Christmas, my friends. Merry Christmas to you. This merry episode Christmas. will be posted the Saturday before Christmas. So Nice. Six days before, I guess. Uh, yeah, Christmas is on a Thursday. Yes. So Merry Christmas to both of our listeners. <laughs> God bless them both of them. 
So what are you guys asking Santa for this year? Uh, sex drive? Oh, sorry. <laughs> he's Santa. He's not a miracle worker. <laughs> he's not Scotty. I got nothing to work with, Dr. Bill. Got <laughs> what about you, Paul? Uh, I don't have any specific comic... Uh, you know, requests for Christmas that I've asked for. So I'm gonna kind of just wait and see. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to anticipate. Do, <laughs> do you have any anything specific you're uh, you're looking for? Nah, not really. No, I just kind of take it as it comes. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it sometimes it's, I find sometimes it's more fun to really to not ask for anything, not think about what somebody might get you, and just kind of. Enjoy the surprise when it comes, instead of uh, exactly know, st- instead of having that foreknowledge of what might be uh, on the horizon. I, I don't know. It's you know, as a kid, you couldn't wait to figure out what you were going to get, but now it's I feel so much more laid back about it. <laughs> Perhaps mm. it's the Alzheimer's. Well, well that's that's I, well, that's that's the nice thing. If you has you know, if uh, with your Alzheimer's, uh, you get a gift. Five minutes later, you get the gift again. I was thinking with, with Alzheimer's, Stanley's uh, thought is true. Every comic really is my first. <laughs> and he send you a big old stack of '90s stuff. I'll Merry take some Christmas. '90s stuff. I don't care. I think there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, we've talked about this before. There's a lot of underrated stuff from the '90s. There's a lot of shit. Don't get me wrong. Oh, that's pure shit. Is what I'm going to send you to. But, but but there's there's a lot of decent stuff that came out during that time. It's, it's just going to come with a note that says, here, Paul, here's something to read and, and review on the show and the episodes I'm not on. That's what it's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> or you can roll it up and use it to start a fire in the fireplace. Right, <laughs> well, right now, I just have that I have that Bob Layton Hercules book sitting and waiting until the next time Gosh, you're not on. Bastard. <laughs> uh, that'll, be the, that'll be the straw that broke the camel right there, I'm telling you. Well, you know, I, I recently took... Uh, a comic book excursion with uh, Dario and David uh, and we went to a comic store and we were looking at stuff and you know they didn't have quarter bins unfortunately so Professor Allen will be disappointed but they did have dollar bins uh, but the dollar bins were like down in the basement and, and they the boxes were just kind of like haphazard and you had to sometimes like pull boxes off of boxes to get at them so they're, right. they're, I, I didn't I just didn't have the energy to, to really dig through and see exactly what they had but uh, I, di- I did go through one uh, box of magazines, and I pulled out of that the Bob Layton Hercules graphic novel for two dollars. So I thought that was a nice pick. The oh the uh, oh what was the name? I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of it. The one that kind of wrapped up the story. Yeah, it takes place. I, I didn't even read it yet, but it takes place like 20 years later or something like that. There's actually another one beyond that because he did. Uh, he did the first two miniseries. There's one with his mm-hmm. son. There yeah. One with you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna grab this one just to see which one I got. Hang on. Uh. Talk, talk. Uh, I had a little story with Dario just this past week. I was back down and where I bought my R2D2 Star Wars shirt that has all like the tour dates on the back. It's done up in the style of ACDC. Mm-hmm. And I tried to. Uh, I don't know if I told you this story, Paul, on the last back end events, but I'll, but I'll tell Scott and anybody else who's already heard it. <laughs> Uh, but I was trying to get him a copy of that shirt because he. Uh, should I just interrupt online. the story, or should I let you finish it? <laughs> Dick. What? 
Nothing, nothing. Never mind, never mind. All right, go ahead. Finish your story. Anyway, I couldn't find him the shirt. They were all sold out. But I did get Ben one, so Ben was happy. I think I did tell that story already. Yeah, it's the Alzheimer's. Every story's new to me. All right, so the book, the one I got was, uh, it's called Full Circle. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one with the sun, right? Yeah, but there's another one beyond that um, that's relatively recent. And by recent, I mean within like the last, I don't know, like five, six years. Because when... Uh, one of the times that I've talked to Leighton at Megacon, he was telling me about this. He's like, you know, because I was telling him what a fan I was and everything of, of his Hercules stuff. And we were talking about, you know, the two minis and then talking about that graphic novel. And I think I had just read the graphic novel at that time. Like I, I had just discovered it, you know, within a few months of, of having met him and talked to him about Hercules at one of the cons. And he's like, well, you know, I, I had another one. I can't remember what the name of that one was. It was a four or five issue miniseries. And I was like, no, nah, I never even heard about it. Was yeah. He's like, yeah, it didn't get promoted very much or whatever. But he's like, yeah, it's out there in the, in the back issue bins. Check it out. And I, I did. I went and I, I read it and I thought it was really good. And in some ways, I actually kind of liked that that last one a little bit better than Full Circle because it had, I, I think it was just the format it was put out in. It had more of a feel of those old um, you know, the original uh, miniseries, the two miniseries from the 80s. Not to say Full Circle is not good, though. It is good. I, I really enjoyed it, and I love his art style. I just, I like his take on Hercules. I think it's a lot of fun. Well, but to it me, a, I, always, I always thought it, it kind of fits the, uh, the, the, the Aquaman from the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon. Right. I always thought that, that's really Hercules, not Aquaman, in my mind. Right. Yeah, I will agree with that. Absolutely. Bill, what uh, what size shirt does uh, does Ben wear? Two XL. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, sorry, no. I'm sorry. the The wife came in. Something's going on. Uh, I'll be right back. Be right back. All right. So now that we got rid of Bill, I think you um, need to put some some chanky chank porno music on in the background. There, something's going on. <laughs> That's not a <laughs> Get some Barry White going. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> oh, God. No, the wife came out and she had a really puzzled look and she was like grabbing She's the like, phone. She's like, why off. did I marry you? She, <laughs> she, she, she grabbed the phone off the desk and she shoves Leave it under my show. She shoves it under my face and, she, and you know, I'm like, I'm like looking at her like, what, what? And she's like, it says line in use. I'm like, you know. Like, like we're suddenly in the horror movie, you know, they're calling from inside the house. Yeah, I don't know what she's getting at here. So I came, uh, that, that's why I said, hold on, I got to go. And then I come out and she's like, somewhere in the house, because we've got like five portable phones. And she's like, somewhere there's in the house, there's a phone turned on. Nobody can call us. And I'm like, and this is a problem. <laughs> you turned into Jackie Mason. <laughs> yeah, like, this is a problem with you. <laughs> Who cares? They can't call us. Big deal. When the phone dies, then they'll call. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, just go to the phone and unplug the phone because it's, you know, I'm like, go un, un, shut the main base off, turn it on, unplug it and plug it back in. Oh, I'm like, yeah, then all the phones will reset. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. Can I go back to the podcast now? Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> crisis solved. Crisis averted. Any, crisis averted. Anyway, your question before, uh, Ben wears a, cause I had to ask my wife too. Because I just screwed that up for the company picnic, the the well not picnic, the company party at um, the hockey arena. So it was up to me to give all the sizes for the kids. So there's the 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 choices were 
you know, men's, women's, and children's. So I have three children, so I gave them children's sizes. However, forgetting that my children are not really the size of small children anymore. So all the shirts we got didn't fit them. Oh. Yeah. That's no, okay. Even the shirt that they got me didn't fit me. And I got the 2X. So they got they had some really wacky shirt sizes. So anyway, they ended up wearing our, my shirt. And my wife wear, wore one of the other shirts. So anyway, everybody was happy. And there, and there was much rejoicing. Yay. But to answer your question, Ben wears a medium or large adult size. That's what my wife says. Okay. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Because <laughs> the reason I ask is... Uh... I got for a song recently. I got a it's a it's bright red. So I don't know if you would wear bright red or not, but it's a bright red uh, shirt. You know, it's a T-shirt with Rocket Raccoon on it. And it's it's like a young men's, you know, like a like a boy's tee. But Logan well, wouldn't wear it. He's like, no, nah, I'm not interested in it. So if he would wear it, you know, oh, he's well, welcome maybe. to it if, if it fits he's, him. He's got one that's got like the four of like them on like a wanted poster and it's a red shirt and it's and it's all the Guardians of the Galaxy like on a wanted poster. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I've he, seen he, that one around. He yeah, he'll wear that. I'll have to dig it out. I'm not sure where it is at the moment, but I'll dig it out. And if it's uh, you, you said what medium to large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'll take a look and see what size it is. If it's in that that range, he's welcome to it. He'll wear it and he'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what else we got? Are we ready to dive into this sucker? Dive. Well, what dive. I got. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. What was what did you, what was it you have, Doctor Bill? Nothing. I just said dive, dive, oh, dive. Right. I, I thought you were saying you had something. I didn't realize no. it was just frivolity. But that's all I ever have. You, you probably have something, some new malady. I have something, something substantive here for you. Just you have you something understand. substantive for me. Oh. Uh, what I got is uh, since it's. I know it's the second to last episode of the year, but since it's, I think of Christmas as kind of the end of the year. Uh, so I have the year in review of Back to the Bins. Oh. I have kind of a breakdown of what we did that was a little off this year. Uh, and I just figure I'm going to just read off the list. And as I hit on things that are uh, of any, uh, where you have any comments, just interrupt me. Like okay? always. So from a special event point of view, we have... First and foremost, Dr. Bill's con synopsis. <laughs> no comment. We also have, within the same calendar year, I, I can't even believe this is in the same calendar year, Apollo Smile. That was a good book. We had a, a special Dr. Bill and Scott wait, wait, wait. Megacon just, wait, wrap wait, wait, up. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Go ahead. How come I'm in all these? Because you're part of the show. Okay, you're just pointing out my foibles first? I'm pointing out special things that were done over the course of this year. Okay, all right. That's okay. All right. It's all right. I don't, I don't want to uh, upset your delicate balance. A delicate genius doesn't want me to point out his accomplishments for this year. <laughs> well, I want to give fair time to my co-hosts. Well, did I just mention uh, that Scott did the Megacon wrap-up with you? Oh, well, yes. I think I did. Honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, you know, maybe maybe you should have done this work to put together the uh, the, the synopsis of the year. Please, please start making more shows, Scott. <laughs> so we also did our special uh coattail writing episodes we did one for winter soldier we did one for asm2 and we did one for guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. we didn't do one for x oh we had all x-men month that's right that is correct i didn't get yeah, to that yet. An entire month i didn't get to that i have two 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 notes down from this i have x-men month 
but we also did our Under Siege review on Avengers Spotlight. Was that we both parts in to. the same calendar year? <laughs> What's that? Was that both parts in the same calendar year? I'm thinking it was, but I can't say for certain. Uh, yes, it was. It was. I was being. We sorry. had a special episode uh, by uh, Scott and uh, Mike Bailey doing Superman versus Shazam. Mm-hmm. We had Planet of the Apes month. We had for the Fourth of July Captain America's bicentennial battles. We also had Assistant Editors Month, and for that I want to thank the pe- the assistant editors who appeared. So that would include Sean Engel, Luke Jacanetti, Chris Honeywell, Mike Bailey, Andy Leyland, J. David Weeder, Chris Tyler, Dave Atterbury, Jeff Doak, Ron Sadowski, and Mr. Scott Reifen. B. Arthur and the 72 Miami Dolphins. Yes. <laughs> so that, that's, that's all kind of the special events we had. We also had a lot of special guest hosts, and I'm going to just run down the list of them. We had Scott Reifen, Luke Jacanetti, Jim Dietz, Russ Latham, Adam Murdo, Chris Eberly, Chris Tyler, Professor Allen, David Price, Sean Whalen, Emily Middleton, Charlie Nehemiah, Ron Sadowski, Jeff Doak, Andy Leyland, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Dave Atterbury, Dario Gonzalez, Dave Pascarella, and Tom DJ. You know who this list doesn't have? It doesn't have Ryan from Dinner for Geeks. Did you notice that? <laughs> did Did you have Tom Panarese in there, or was that well, because Tom that Panarese show has not gone off yet? In January. Oh, okay. I didn't know if he was going to make the cut for this month. Never mind. I spoiled ahead for next you did. year. You, you just ruined the January surprise that I had for all our listeners. No, but I did count, and there was 21 guest stars. I was keeping count as you were rattling them off. So that's 21 shows Scott didn't make. <laughs> <laughs> no, some of those were doubled up with people. <laughs> yes, that is true. And some of them actually Scott was on with. Mm-hmm. So that's true. It's... Uh, it's become the big joke that, that you always get replaced by these guys, but it's not really reality. It feels like it is, though. I'm sure it does. Well, you know, anytime, <laughs> anytime you miss something, you feel like, uh, you know, there's, there's you know, that, that, that the world is spinning without you and you're missing it. So, but uh, it's, I think it's been a pretty good year. I think we've had a pretty productive year. Uh, to me, the highlight, sadly enough, was Assistant Editor's Month. So the highlight was when none of the three of us were on it. <laughs> No, I thought I think we've had a great year for the show. I, I think the show is really firing on all cylinders. I, I really do. I, I you know, and it's obvious that the uh, that the listeners are, are digging the show too because they they always have the kindest things to say about it. So yeah, I think we're we're steamrolling right along. Mannheim steamroller. There you go. In the next year, you know, I, I think we're gonna do probably more spotlight episodes because we enjoy them uh i would always be interested in when we we haven't really gotten much of it lately i'm always interested in hearing if there's any books or topics that people would like us to cover and it seemed like we were getting that in emails for a while and some of them we did and some of them we couldn't do for whatever reason uh but i haven't seen one in quite a while so if people have things that they want us to cover then, uh, you know, by all means, let us know. I can't promise you we're going to cover it, but certainly uh, it would be considered and, you know, possibly get done. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just checked the email bag out of curiosity, and we do have an email just came in. Literally. Sweet. <laughs> Look, within the past three hours. So really? should, we, should we read that or should we save that for next year? Oh, you were, you've already... You've already Teased mentioned it. it. You might as well read it. Well, this might be a sticking point because it's back to the bins. One seventy-seven. Stealth Iron Man and Silent Batman. Woohoo! Hi guys and Scott, if you're there. 
Yes, he is. And this comes from Russell Bragg. Great show as always. The first 45 minutes were awesome. Uh-oh, I haven't even read this yet, so I don't know where this is going. <laughs> the first 45 minutes were awesome. I don't care what anybody says. I love your guys' humor, tangents, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I agree with Paul. If you took that away, the show would be totally different. You might try something different for April Fool's, but never permanently. I knew more about Paul's book, which I read in the trade, called The Many Deaths of Batman. It's been too long since I I, uh, I read to, to help much, but I believe it was an unknown villain behind all the deaths. Dr. Bill's story was good, too, and I discovered it was in trade, in trade form, The Many Armors of Iron Man. Oh, huh. we got The Many Deaths of Batman and The Many Armors of Iron Man. I might have to pick that up. I only have three Iron Man comics in my collection, spanning 131 to 133 when he battled the hulk which yeah that is a good good run there you get to see the incredible banner at the end of 131 which was pretty cool see below i guess he has a anyway uh i remember having those as a kid and just wanted to have them again the only other iron man that i have i just picked up recently in hardcover demon in a bottle a nine issue story arc concerning tony stark's alcoholism all the batman i have would take up too much of your show so let's just say I have much and leave it at that. I want to thank you again for plugging my show whenever you can. It's appreciated, and I try to reciprocate as often as possible. Before closing, I want to thank you for keeping my Saturdays at work tolerable. And again, as we've heard on other shows, bonus points for listening at work. I don't know what i do without it. You guys crack me up. I enjoyed the Back to the Bins. I enjoyed Back to the Bins so much, unlike Professor Allen, if ever I plan to give out podcast awards someday, you guys and Back to the Bins are my first winners. Thanks again for keeping me entertained at work. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. And thank you as always, sir. We love to hear from you. Very true. And always a pleasure. Scott, Scott went away. Scott is Scott is mad. Uh, no, I'm Scott sitting <laughs> reading his D-Man books. <laughs> He's like, I wasn't on that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, just He's planning the many part. deaths of Paul and Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those Batman was kind of fat, so that was, that would be me. That could be either of us. <laughs> so yeah, that was wow. Just a like on the spot fast email. Back-to-back e- email, like, right, right after the last show came out. Although this show won't come Well, anyway. Yeah, the emails are going to be out of order and stuff. Wibbly-wobbly, Tommy. We got a lot of Avengers email, but who knows when we're going to do another Avengers show. Soon. Whenever that may be. <laughs> oh. All right, so this year again, like last year, we all picked Christmas stories to cover in our uh, in our Christmas episode. It's hard to believe it's been a year. I mean, I remember just, it really is. It seems like just last year I was write, writing up that synopsis. And, we did a Christmas know. episode last year. Yes, we did. You don't recall? <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. You don't remember what did the we book cover? you did? No. What did we cover? I we covered. That... Uh, Bill did the X Men issue with Kitty Pride. Oh, you did a, you did a right. Superman issue with the Parasite. That's right. Okay. Yes. And I, I did a, a bizarre story about the Anti Claws. Mm-hmm. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah, because it, it was a son of Santa, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to him? Did you ever do any research as to whether he he ever popped up again or anything? I, I, yeah, it's been a, it's been a year, but I did look it up, and I seem to remember that there was another story that touched on it, and that was it. There was one other appearance, hmm. but I I don't recall any details on that at this point because it was a year ago that I looked it up. 
You needed to ask me the week after the show. <laughs> Those I other 50, 51 weeks have blurred my mind. <laughs> but anyway, why don't we jump into some books? Sure. No. Bill, you no. have the Marvel today. Oh, we doing mine first? Well, you have the Marvel. Oh, oh I, 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 that I, is I the format. You I wasn't ready for that pressure. Throw the format away. I thought we were going to go by age, like you know, like the what? oldest book first. Oh no, that's when they're all the same one. That's right. By publishing date, but never mind. I yeah, no, no, I, no. Yeah, yeah, no. What is that? That's a New York thing. Yeah, no. Or that's a Paul thing. Yeah, uh, no. No. All right. Well, I am first up, and I would like to thank my cohorts for suggesting this one because I was really having a hard time finding one. I was pressed for time and I might've had this one in my collection, but I could, could not find it. But uh, luckily a copy was passed on to me and I am covering tonight. The mighty Thor number 444. And obviously it is Marvel. It's cover date. It's February, 1992. The on sale date, was January 2nd, 1992. And this comes from, of course, as always, Mike's Amazing World. Cover price, Professor Allen would not be happy. $1.25. Oh, outrageous. I know. He, he, he just can't stand that. And our cover is by Prenzler Ron Friends and inker Allen Milgram. And we see deep in the sewers, the bearded mighty Thor rounds a corner to face a foe who only we see in shadow. The copy says... Who is the most shocking super foe of all? Then the script at the bottom states, well, actually, the most shocking super foe of all would probably be Dr. Doom. But believe us, he is not in this issue. The shadowed figure bears a striking resemblance to a certain literary character that will remain nameless for the moment. And our story is how the Gronk stole Christmas. Writer Tom DeFalco, penciler Ron Friends, inker Al Milgram, letterer Michael Haisler, colorist Michael Rockwitz, and editor Ralph Macchio, not to be confused with the Karate Kid. It is December 24th, and Eric Masterson is lost in thought, mulling over all the recent developments in his life. His new role as the Norse th Thunder God and Avenger Thor, the Chaos... Chaos? What the fuck? <laughs> the Chaos... <laughs> chaos Theory. The chaos that has resulted from that new role and the amount spent on the gift for his son, Kevin. Yeah, just like me. Except my son's name is Ben. He is so lost in thought that he does not notice the cross-dressing Chris Tyler ahead of him as he, she... <laughs> Alright, you got me. I told you you'd laugh when I got to that one. Tell me that's not Chris Tyler in that picture. I cannot tell you that that's not Chris Tyler. <laughs> As he, she is yoked into the nearby alley, Scott Gardner style. Yoked <laughs> into the near. <laughs> Thank God for truncated wait for silence. <laughs> yeah, no truncated silence there. Hearing the scream, though, Eric turns into the alley to help. She claims a monster stole one of her gifts. He then moves into another of the maze of alleys and changes into Thor by striking his walking stick upon the ground. Taking flight, he. Taking flight, he searches in vain as the large creaker saying, Gronk, looks up from an open manhole and slips into the sewers. Giving up the search, finally he returns to Chris Tyler, uh, I mean the lady, to find her giving a statement to the police. He learns that there has been a rash of one present thefts and that he should learn to shop around at Christmas as he paid way too much for the gift he got his son, at least from what the police tell him. Heading out, <clears throat> he goes to his ex-wife's apartment, oh joy, where he is further emasculated and shown up by her new husband, football player, Dick Steele. Uh, sorry, I mean Bobby Steele. 
He gives his son the gift and bids him a Merry Christmas and head, heads out to find that Christmas bandit because he just can't stand to be around his ex-wife. Meanwhile, an unsuspecting accountant is given the gardener treatment and has a gift taken from him. Our hero, now back in the guise of Thor, hears this and swoops in and is blasted from behind by a twirl of twin lasers sapping his strength. What is this freaking uh, dark side in here? He turns to see someone from a furry convention with a sick Dr. Seuss sense of humor. The large creature only says, Gronk. And it's on like Donkey Kong as the two battle Thoro y Gronko through the alley and into a nearby store via the wall. Thor pauses Christopher Reeve style, the people, and tells them to run as the Gronk starts to blast things with his laser eyes. Being the slaves to consumerism that they are, the people whine that they have to finish shopping first. Meanwhile, one Jackie Lucas visits Eric's house uh, apartment to find it a mess, and Jerry Sapristi is trying to clean things up for Eric. Both are startled and shocked by a figure we only see in shadow, and I'm going to have to stop right here and point out that this has to be one of the most weirdly drawn panels I have ever seen. Okay, the figure is obviously Captain America. What is creepy is that the two people, Jackie and Jerry, are visibly, visibly surprised by this person. But from what we see and where they're looking at, I have to think that little Cap is sticking out of the trousers, or this is the naked Cap guy that Scott found a picture of on the internet. <laughs> Okay, back to the story. The fight continues through the store until the Gronk is stopped by a small barking dog with one antler. Okay. I guess Cindy Lou Who fell down a sewer because Gronk takes off with the dog down into one, leaving the puzzled Thor behind. Chasing the Gronk through the sewers, Thor is jumped and mugged by a group of homeless people. End of story. Merry Christmas. Oh, no, no, wait, sorry. He is jumped by them, but is greeted by... Cindy Lou who? No, really. Yeah, it really is Cindy Lou. And her dog, Max. All right, this is getting ridiculous. Well, it appears that the Gronk is not a villain, but the protector of the small group. He had misunderstood a book they read to him about Christmas, and they promised to return all the presents. Just don't take their friend away. Later, Eric stops by the hospital where his friend Susan Austin lies in a coma. We know that she is in a coma because her entire head is wrapped in bandages. <clears throat> he expresses his affection for her, and bam! Just like Emerald, a Christmas miracle happens as she wakes up. When he leaves the hospital, he is met by Captain America, who wants him to move into the Avengers Mansion. And I hope this is really Cap and not the naked, creepy Cap. Or the creepy, naked Cap. Cap says he heard that Thor had recovered all the stolen gifts, but he would give no clues as to who took them. Ah, what a guy. And he tells him he should move in, and he uh, questions his judgment a little bit, and Cap kind of comes off as a kind of a dick. <laughs> but anyway, returning to his home, feeling dejected after being uh, spoken down to by Cap, he is finally surprised when he is greeted by his friends and family, including, including what appears to be Herbie Hancock, Grace Jones, Mouse of the South, Jimmy Hart, and Hercules. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have Majolner. The end. I'm so that I Christmas warmth. <laughs> There's so much Christmas schlock in this, but it's great. <laughs> Christmas schlock. Well, the the whole, you know, when the woman comes out of the coma and the doctor's there looking over uh, Eric's shoulder and he says, hey, God bless us, everyone. I'm like, yes, yeah, so, quick, somebody lift up a crippled kid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
the shot of Thor when the people in this in the sewer say, "Please, Mister, please don't take the Grok away from us," and they show him in shadow, and he looks like the Grinch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's the Grinch in the Thor helmet. But uh, yeah, this this is a nice story. It's it's a nice fun story. Um, the Gronk, I yeah, the Gronk does look like the Grinch, but the Grinch on uh, human growth hormone or something. He's uh he, he's pretty ripped and he's he's really filling out that uh, that Santa outfit Hulk style, but for our for, for for the beat of our show it does cover all of the the Christmas, the tropes and the happy times and you know giant mutant people in sewers and gods flying around with uh, super slammer racetracks underneath their arms because <laughs> he was afraid to put it down because it would get stolen. He could have just set it on a rooftop somewhere. He couldn't have left it with the cops. He could have left it with Chris Tyler back in the alley. <laughs> oh yeah, and and with the uh, so his new wife's hus- uh, new husband is a football player. Oh, that just makes you feel like man. And your son is wearing a guy's jersey too. That's even better. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Dad. Ah, oh, thanks, son. Well, so you know how to showing up with a mullet. <laughs> yeah, he's got the blonde mullet. With... Of course, the, got the a... new husband's got the mullet, too. Oh, yeah, he's got the mullet, too. For a minute, I thought she was married to Hercules or something. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Hercules gets around. Well, don't uh, don't Masterson and Herc, uh, they're roommates at some point. Well, yeah, at, this run, aren't they? at the end, when I said that he's greeted by Her- Hercules, he actually is greeted by Hercules. His name is Harry Cleese or Harry Kleeg. Right. But what I was saying was the other people in those last few panels, like the guy that Herc has his arm over with the glasses, looks just like the 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 wrestling promoter, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Oh yeah, I, I noticed that. <laughs> and then in the panel previous, you've got the you got the black lady back there with the flat top, and that's Grace Jones. And Grace the guy Jones, with yeah. the guy with the punch bowl in the front is Herbie Hancock with the glasses. <laughs> is that Zeta in the middle? I don't know who the chick in the purple was. I couldn't come up with one for her. I'm like, who are these people? But Samantha Joyce, though that name sounds familiar. Like, I should know that character. I don't know if... Because she looks like a character that was in X-Force. Not X-Force. X-Factor. In the early pages of X-Factor, what are the villains they went up against? I remember there was some flat-top black lady. But she was all beefed up and like, like a powerhouse. But I don't remember the character. But anyway, we've, we've got all the good Christmas cheer here. You know, he comes home. He thinks everything's going to be a mess. His life's in shambles. And everybody has the happy Merry Christmas. Bah, humbug. <laughs> you know, one of, one of the first things that jumped out at me as I was reading this, uh, the Chris Tyler lady, mm-hmm. uh, she starts talking about buying uh, a Christmas gift or a gift for Hiram. <laughs> and and what jumped out at me is that that's a very Hebrew name. Uh <laughs> And I'm wondering if that wasn't calculated to try and say, you know, this is for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or otherwise and, you know, that kind of thing. A little hokey, but I just kind of, that's kind of what I read into it a little. Mm. Uh, I love this story. I think this is great. And if it wasn't a Christmas story, it probably would be just a little too hokey. But I, I think yeah. it's really cool. I think, it, you know, it totally pulled me in. I read the whole thing. It, it just kind of, it felt like, you know, uh, when you have a, a, a sitcom and they do a Christmas episode, that's what it felt like to me. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, yeah. And I'm I'm not sure if it's the Gronk or the Grunk, because it's two O's. Mm. So I don't mean to correct you, but I think it might be the Grunk. Gronk, Grook, Grunk. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> but it, it's I, yeah, I don't know. Again, just, really you know, just kind of 
I won't even say dumb fun because I don't think it's really that dumb. Just fun. Yeah. And the other guy that gets yoked in the uh, in the uh, alleyway gardener style <laughs> is an accountant. Because he's mumbling to himself, based on my understandings of the current tax codes, every one of these gifts should be fully deductible. Of course, I'll have to document all the all the receipts and, hey, what are you doing? Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> and then he yells at him, help me, please. My personal insurance doesn't cover street theft. <laughs> There's just so many little things written in here that are that if you're going by too fast, that you're going to miss them. You know... I tried to be a little sarcastic when he was uh, talking about the people running in the store when the Gronk starts to blast with his I-beams, which is never really explained. But uh, he blasts with the I-beams, and he's, saying, he's, he's like, hurry, move out. Everybody get out while you can. And No, we can't leave until we finish our shopping. And another guy who looks like he's screaming at the top of him, look, there's a cashier without a line. Run for your life. Uh and the, the the shadowy picture of Captain America, he's got the littlest shield <laughs> on his back. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's tis but a small shield. It's his traveling shield. But tell me, they're not looking at his crotch in that picture. Uh, they are looking straight down. I actually, not, see, straight. I'm not sure if they're looking at his crotch in the picture, but I think as he's walking away, they're looking at his ass. Well, that too. But <laughs> was that who I think it was? Yeah, it's that naked cap guy from the internet. Wow. I don't know. He Scott posted that picture. It made me blind for a while. I don't know why they'd stare <laughs> like that. Uh, now, what's, what's the deal with the uh, lady in the coma? Uh, she was injured previously. Um, like she was like caught in a crossfire between uh, battle with him and Loki and Mephisto. Apparently, from Who what is I got. she though? Um, I guess I don't remember. From what I'm get, getting from this is someone that he kind of had a thing for, but he hadn't said anything. That's not his partner, is it, from the paramedic thing or whatever? Because he no, was a this, paramedic, right? No, no, wrong guy. Wrong guy. That's that's when this gets rebooted with John Romita Jr. Mm. Is is when he's the paramedic. So what yeah, does Masterson not, do? I thought he was a construction worker, I think. Masterson was a construction oh, worker right. slash architect. That's he, right. He was the architect. And um, because he later on actually devised some of the uh, like he redoes the mansion because i think because uh, well, didn't we cover a little of that of under siege where they were talking about thor was back to being thor but they had mentioned masterson or something with the mansion right there, there was something recently yeah. we talked about about stuff with the mansion uh getting redone i don't know if it was the dr doom one we did with professor allen but there was some mention of 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 that because he had helped redesign stuff in the mansion, but yeah, he, but later on he becomes Thunderstrike when uh, right when Thor takes back the power. See, this isn't probably the best issue to use as an example of how awesome I think this run is, but I do think this run is really awesome, and it's uh, I don't hear it mentioned very often, and when I do hear it mentioned, it's usually kind of maligned, and I, I've never understood why, because I think it's damn good comics. I, I th- I've always thought that uh, that um, Friends and uh, damn, what's his name? I'm blanking on the on the Milgram? author um, DeFalco, Tom DeFalco. Oh. I always thought DeFalco Friends was a great team, and uh, and I like their stuff here because it has a very uh, old school Marvel feel to it that I, that I really enjoyed. I liked Eric Masterson as a character. 
I mean, this was at a time that they were just trying to shake Thor up a little bit and do something, you know, new and interesting with him. And uh, and I thought it worked because it, it made him uh, much more human. And the, you know, his dynamic with having, you know, with him just being a regular guy, but he had the power of Thor made the whole Don Blake dynamic work in a way that Don Blake never really did. You know, when it was when it was Thor... Uh, as Don Blake, I never thought that worked well. But with this, you know, where you've got Eric Masterson, who's just a regular dude, and he taps his cane and gets the power of Thor, it it mm-hmm. it worked. I liked it a lot. Well, and he kind of has the I don't know if this is really a, a term, but he's kind of got the Peter Parker syndrome in that. Was me? Yeah. Well, not what was me, but everything in his life isn't perfect. Right. Yeah. You know, he's got the Marvel character foibles that he has to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know. You know his his. Just because he's a superhero doesn't mean his personal life is got is all together, you know. Right. And, he's, and he's got crap he has to deal with. Right, and and I like that because that's a, th- a dynamic you, you couldn't really do that with Thor. I know they tried doing that with like Donald Blake, but at the you know I always get the feeling, especially when I go back and read those old stories, I always got the the feeling that ultimately it's like why is Thor putting up with this shit? Why is he even maintaining this front? of don blake and being immortal and everything and i think that's why increasingly in those old stories he would just kind of piss off to asgard for you know for issues at a time because ultimately what the hell did he need don blake for whereas this you've got eric you know eric comes first because eric's the the real person he's not you know some tacked on made up thing by odin to teach thor humility or whatever the hell he was trying to do you know, Masterson is a real person who's suddenly been given this vast responsibility, and I and I like that. I, it's it, it kind of grounded the character, and uh, you know, again, I, I I've heard a lot of people kind of you know pick on the the whole Thunderstrike thing and everything because that's where this eventually goes. You know, they eventually bring Thor back, but you know by that point they realized that Masterson had his following and everything, so they kind of split the two books, and you've got you know Thor comes back and reclaims his own title. But the the Masterson Thor doesn't exactly go away. He just becomes Thunderstrike and goes off into his own mag. And I liked that. I, I thought it was really good because you kind of got the best of both worlds with that. Well, I remember later they had uh, it was like a mini series called the Thor Corpse, and mm-hmm. they had Thor yeah. Thunderstrike, and they had Beta Ray Bill or Beta Ray Thor, whatever right. you say. Now I don't remember things ending well for Eric Masterson though. Didn't he end up with like a blood curse? He became Bloodstrike yeah, or something. Yeah, his or? book only lasted twenty four issues, and he died in the last issue, unfortunately. Spoiler. <laughs> but his son, uh, who we see here, uh, would eventually pick up the mantle of Thunderstrike because he was Thunderstrike in the what did they call that MC two? Oh yeah 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 yeah. You know what I'm talking about, where it was like Avengers Next and yeah. um, Spider right. Girl and all those titles. Yeah, he was Thunderstrike in that. That's actually Masterson's son. He was an Avenger in that mm. other universe. Is that what it was called? MC Two? Am I remembering that uh, yeah. right? I, was yeah. it either MC Two or M Two? I'm not sure. Maybe no, it was just M Two. I think it was MC Two. I don't know, but you guys know what I'm talking about, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you had. Although- uh, it was basically it was like the the children of the Avengers were now the Avengers because you had like the son of or no, I mean the daughter of uh, of the Wasp and and Yellow Jacket I can't remember what her name was. Well, I kind of feel sorry for. Well, let me see if maybe that's maybe he's wearing a hat. Like the next to last page. Uh, hold on, let me go back to another page of Ke- uh, picture of Kevin. 
Yeah, Kevin, that was his name, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. They really got off with the coloring because when he goes and visits him in the apartment, he has the same blonde hair as his dad. Right. And suddenly, in the next to last page, and on the last page, Kevin now has white hair. <laughs> he, he's a big Pietro fan. <laughs> Somebody scared him really bad. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dad! Oh! No, but it's 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 points. actually it's actually very poorly done because in the first two panels that he's in, he's got red hair. No, that's a hat. I'm thinking that's oh, a hat. Oh, okay. That's yeah, I'm he's gonna, got a toque on. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's a hat. I'm gonna give him that one. Are we sure that's not young Quicksilver? Because <laughs> that's what it looks like. Because it's uh, every shot, his hair's sticking straight up. It's like what the heck? And it's white. What's going on? Yeah, uh, it's a minor nitpick, but it's still, it does look like young Pietro. A terrible thing to need Grecian formula at nine years old. <laughs> now the uh, the the wife of the guy throwing the party, whoever that is, uh, is that Roseanne Barr? <laughs> Roseanne Barr with uh, Bride of Frankenstein's hair. She's got the white. She's got the gray streaks in it. I almost thought that was the woman from the opening that was on the street. Yeah, but uh, I don't believe it is. And if that's supposed to be the same guy, Jerry. Because don't because doesn't he say oh it's me Jerry or what's or, wrong with this place it looks like it's like a slum it's yeah <laughs> there's like a friggin' hole knocked in one of the walls and there's shit dripping out of the ceiling what is this place well I guess see I it's, it's been so long since I read these and I'm not sure I have this this these particular runs but before this you know because when all right in the middle of the book when Cap visits there's a guy cleaning and it says his name is you know jerry because at the end he says you know that he's jerry but his hair color changes color too his hair goes all white as well there must be some scary shit in that apartment i don't know what's going on so he turns into jimmy carter (laughs) (laughs) oh how you doing Well, this is this is masterson's place right yeah i think think he was uh evicted all right so i i imagine what's going on here is we're catching it between storylines or something where probably something happened in a prior issue there was a, a villain fight or something in his apartment got because doesn't this sort of thing happen to peter parker all the time yeah you know some you know some like the green goblin would firebomb his apartment or something and then you know he'd deal with like some smoky shitty apartment for several issues until somebody would pay to have it repa- repaired or something like that i think that's what's going on here but it's just weird. I'm looking at the uh, the last page there, you know, the, the one you were talking about with the woman serving food and everything. And in the background, it looks like he's living at the Flintstones house or something. I'm like, what What the <laughs> hell is that? But, yeah, I, I seem to recall that his apartment was routinely getting trashed by supervillains or something, something to that effect. I am so overdue for a read of this uh, this era of Thor. I, I really would love to dig it back out because I liked this. I I enjoyed this immensely as it was coming out. I, I thought this was this was really good stuff. Even the even though uh, what's her name in uh, uh, Susan in the hospital because like I said we know she's in a coma because her head's in a bandage. <laughs> That's always oh coma wrap her head. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help. But, but her doctor, look at her doctor. He's even got the big mullet and the hair. And, and why is he wearing a blue, like, what's with that big, heavy blue coat? I mean, that's not even. <laughs> He's cold. I guess. There's some just weird coloring choices in clothes. Choice, yeah, but... the coloring doesn't doesn't help because uh, 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Ron Friends fan, but I'm noticing that some of the coloring in this just is, yeah, it's off. Yeah, you're right. His Her doctor looks like the Beyonder. What the hell's yeah, up with that? Yeah, it's almost like her doctor looks like he should be somebody you know. Because Billy he's Ray just, right, He's just so distinctive. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Didn't he have? Didn't he actually have a TV show where he played a doctor around the time when this came out, before his daughter know. became uh, Hannah Montana? Uh, oh man, you're asking me about a country star. Maybe you're thinking no of Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, and the dude that looked like this dude on the show. I don't know. <laughs> Not that I watched Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. Let me just say that right now. My wife did. <laughs> well, Jane Seymour though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> say no more. Yeah. Now, did you think that that Cap was really Cap in this, or did you think Cap was uh, the U.S. Was agent? USA, yeah, I didn't know if he was USA agent because yeah. that could be mistaken for black in the sh- in the shading because it doesn't yeah. come out and say that it's blue. So, so yeah, there was there was a possibility that this this was not uh, the regular Cap. So you're thinking, well, then if it's not regular Cap, then who is it? Yeah, because that's what I thought on that page where. Uh, where he comes to the apartment building, we just see him shaded. I thought for sure that that was U.S. agent. So I thought it was pretty cool, and it turned out to really be Cap a little bit later in the story. Well, there's Paul, quick on the draw. Yep, yep. <laughs> there was a Billy Ray Cyrus doctor show. Was there? Yes. And what was it called? Would you like to tell us, Paul? It was called Doc. <laughs> it was on from 2001 to 2004. What was the date on this book? Oh, huh. Nine, it's older nine. than that. Yeah, it's older than that. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I'm it's, sure it is. Uh, I'm thinking what, this is like on. 93. Oh, I was nope, close. 90. February 92. Yep. Okay, so it predates the Billy Ray Cyrus show. By 10 years. It predicted. Incredible. It predicted. <laughs> predicted. <laughs> I like the little caption box in the very first page. It says, respectfully dedicated to theater Dr. Seuss Geisel. Uh, who brought out? It says who brought out the child. And all that. Basically, the way I read this is, please don't sue us. That's that's <laughs> really what this is saying here. Yeah, Cindy Lou, the dog named Max. Yep, the the Grunk. Yeah, it makes you wonder how they get away with stuff like this. But I don't know. It's a, it's a cute little story. Yeah, I wonder. You know, I'm I'm wondering if this would fall into like whatever uh, whatever copyright laws allow, like Mad Magazine to do parodies of things. Hmm. I don't know. I don't either, and I, I don't know much about copyright law to be honest with you. So I'm not, I'm not professing to have any knowledge of it. But you know, Mad Magazine does parodies of all sorts of movies and TV shows and things, and they don't get sued for it that I'm aware of. Right. And I assume it's because they know what line they're allowed to cross and what line they're not. So maybe I mean this doesn't seem entirely dissimilar to that. So maybe it's the same rules, whatever it might be. So now I'm wondering if, all right, because he says early on that the I-beam sapped his strength. Did the I-beams, was his strength sapped all through this? He was a sap. The reason I ask is because when he gets jumped by the homeless guys and then he shrugs them off, no way, and they all go flying. Did he just kill all of them? (laughs) Did they all just hit the walls? Splat, splat, splat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he really does send them flying. Yeah. <laughs> you got to figure there's at least one broken neck in there. Yeah, somebody's come not walking away from that easily. Oh, and, you know, he does the right thing and he doesn't send them to prison. How are you rating it? Um, 
let's go back to the cover. Cover is pretty cool. Uh, pretty good. We're we've got the um, I I like these covers that that you know it's it's a scene that's actually in the comic. <gasps> Imagine that, and you know you don't really know what's you you you've got the guy in shadow and you can kind of see who he is. That you you either think he's the Hulk with a Christmas hat or maybe he's the Grinch, one or the other. But he I thought it was the Sphinx. The Sphinx. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, I would yeah. think most people. I think most people would get that reference, but I don't yeah. know. Um, so I'm actually going to give this cover a B. Um, and for the artwork, I was impressed with the snow. At first, I was kind of annoyed with the snow because it was hard to see the picture. But I'm thinking, well, you know, how else you really going to show snow? I mean, you could do the like the straight lines, like a raining snow. But I like the little individual, little white sprinkles of of actual um, flakes floating down you know it's it's like that that christmasy time snow um so um all right there was some coloring issues yeah that kind of detracts a little so art wise i'm uh, mm, i'm gonna give the art a c plus b minus probably probably more than the c plus and the story the story's fun i'm gonna give the story because it's a christmas story and i'm feeling good i'm gonna give it an a minus Overall, I'll give the book a B plus. All right, what do you think, Scott? Hmm, oh, it's a tough one. I do What's... really like the cover. I, I think it's inked very nicely. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good. I, I think B would be a pretty good way to go on this because you know it's it's a little silly with the you know with the Grinch shadow and all that. But forgiving that for the moment just you know the thor portion of it i think is really cool looking and again i really like the inking on it so yeah i'd say a solid b maybe even a b plus um for the cover the interior art it's hard for me to be objective because i really am a, a huge fan of ron friends i've always uh, been a fan of his stuff um some of it's a little loosey-goosey in parts and I do, I do not think the coloring helps it at all. I, I don't really enjoy the way it's colored. There's something about it. It's a little too bright in a lot of ways. And then it's it's very muddy in other ways. So, yeah, the coloring just doesn't – it doesn't complement the art the way that I think that it should. But the the art itself is uh, it's pretty good except for just a, a few, pace, uh, few uh, places where it's just a little loose, I think. And I, I – think that's probably milgram uh on the inking more than it's uh friends on the pencil so i'm gonna say uh hmm let's say like a b minus on the r um only because i'm lumping the uh the coloring in there as well the story you know it's funny because I always think of this as like, oh, this is that issue that was so horrible of Thor. You know, this is a really stupid one with the Grinch and everything. But then reading it again, I mean, there's a lot of charm to the story. If you kind of get over the fact that they're doing a riff on the Grinch, uh, it's actually, it's not bad at all. Plus, it gives a lot of beats to what was going on at the time in the title. You know, which typically a, a Christmas story, you know, it would be just kind of a, a one-off, and they wouldn't necessarily move forward the natural progression of the title. But they do that in this; they take time to actually tie it in with you know the the regular events that were going on in Thor's life and in Thor's title at the time. So it doesn't feel as throwaway as as you know just a special holiday issue, and I like that. And 
I, I like the little character beats in this. It, it just it brings back a lot of memories of this you know era of the title that I enjoyed a lot. I really did like uh, Masterson, and I liked uh, the the DeFalco friends team. You know during this era of Thor, so you know all that together, I'd say you know as far as the story, I'd, I'd say I'd pretty much give it an A because it is a it's a nice little Christmas tale and it works and it's got a lot of heart to it. I like that sort of thing. So you know, yeah, it it kind of calls a little to uh, like the end is kind of like it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Everybody gathered at his house, right? You know, so the I mean, there's a has friends. He's the richest man in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's all kind of Christmas homages in here. Uh, I'm going to agree with you guys 100% on the cover, and I'm going to give it the third B. Uh, I like the, the image of the Grinch on there. I just think it's cool. It, I think if I was at the newsstand and I wasn't somebody who normally bought Thor, but I was looking at the comic books, I think this one would uh, entice me to pick it up. Um, the interior art, I'm going to break it up because I think the coloring is poor and I think the inking is poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the detail, I think you could see that the detail work is, is very weak on it. And I'm blaming that on Milgram as the anchor. I'm thinking he just kind of rushed through some of this stuff, the background work, the, the like the fine details on some smaller figures and all. I, I, I don't think it's, it's well fleshed out, but the penciling looks to be terrific. Uh, I think the storytelling is actually really solid. Uh, I think it's real easy to follow what's going on. It it just flows. Uh, so the penciling, basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it a, a B plus for the penciling, and a C minus for the inking and the color, and let it average out as a, at a B minus. Uh, but but the penciling is is terrific. And story wise, you said you, Scott, you said setting aside the fact that it's a riff on the Grinch, uh, I think it gains points for being a riff on the Grinch. I happen to love the, <laughs> the Grinch story, and I, and I love the fact that they worked it into. A, uh, a Thor comic and did so, like you say, without missing a beat. They still, uh, they still have the elements of what's going on in this series, and and you know they make a nice, real cool Christmas story that that's just fun to read. Uh, so I'm giving the, I'm giving the story a solid A. Uh, I'm tempted to almost say A plus, but I'm just going to go solid A. So overall, I'm giving the book a uh, basically a B plus. Oh. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess at this point we'll move on to book number two, and that one is mine because I got the DC this time around. That's and you. That is me. And I wasn't sure what book to pick, so what I ended up doing was I went on and I did a, a Google search for the greatest comic Christmas stories, and I found that uh, Comic Book Resources actually had an article, The 24 Greatest Christmas Stories Ever Told. So I just kind of perused that list, and I saw that the number one story, according to them, the greatest Christmas story ever, was in Batman number 219. So I chose that. And the cover of the story is irrelevant because it has nothing to do with the story. There's actually three stories in that book, and I'm just covering the second one. So the cover date on this is February of 1970. It had a cover price that Professor Allen would approve of, of 15 cents. And the story is called The Silent Night of the Batman. It's written by Mike Friedrich, and the art is by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano, and it is edited by Julie Schwartz. Night falls on Christmas Eve in Gotham. The sidewalks bustle with last-minute shoppers. A peaceful, almost heavenly scene. Would injustice and tragedy dare creep in? 
There is too much contrary experience to believe otherwise for the Batman, who stands vigil atop a building looking over downtown Gotham. Then, as the eerie bat signal shimmers against a snow-filled cloud, the atmosphere takes on a celestial composition. For 2,000 years, mystics have experienced the many mysteries surrounding Christmas. Tonight, there will be one more. The Batman swings off in response to the illuminated bat signal and meets up with Commissioner Gordon on the roof of police headquarters. Gordon tells him that there's no emergency and that he's called him because Christmas Eve is not the night for him to be patrolling. Batman tells him that crime and disaster don't observe holidays, but agrees to join some officers that are caroling, opening with a rendition of Jingle Bells. As they sing, we see a group of youths take a woman's Christmas bundles from her and run. But when they tear them up and see that there's a Batman figure among the gifts, they actually return the gifts to the woman. We rejoin the Batman singers who are belting out We Three Kings. And as they do that, we see a gunman bump into a man and fall to the ground. He then takes aim at the man and sees that the man is a blind man with a Santa beard and a Batman suit. He has a sign that says support Wayne Foundation Christmas Drive for the blind. Motivated by this, he throws his gun into a nearby trash can and walks away. Batman and his fellow singers have now moved on to Santa Claus is Coming to Town. At this point, we see a woman reading a letter and crying. And we also see from a framed picture in the foreground that her husband is a soldier. Uh, presumably, she's just depressed because he's not there. When I originally read this, I thought he was deceased, but apparently that is not the case. Uh, much like George Bailey, she makes her way to a bridge and throws a rose into the water and appears ready to jump. But we see what appears to be a bat signal shadow in the water, and she turns away. And at that precise moment, her husband miraculously finds her and embraces her. We cut back to the carolers one last time as they sing Silent Night. Batman realizes that they've been singing all night and haven't been disturbed by any emergency calls. Like the spirit of Christmas peace took a hold of everyone. He's then startled by a ghostly apparition of the commissioner that says, what does it say? <laughs> that says, but what is the Christmas spirit, Batman? Might it not be you or I? Batman believes that his eyes are playing tricks on him. And then the real commissioner says that all of his hard work has paid off and given him the night off. Batman swings away, pondering Christmas spirit. As the spirit of the peaceful night becomes one with the city, dawn creeps and covers the skyline, and a new day begins. For 2,000 years, mystics have experienced the many mysteries surrounding Christmas. Today there is one more, the silent night of the Batman. This was just, I don't know, I almost burst into tears reading this book. <laughs> it's very schmaltzy. Uh, but it, it's a, I just think it's a terrific Christmas story. And, and I have to agree with CBR that I don't know if I'm ranking it absolutely number one because I haven't reviewed all those stories on the list, but it's right up there. No question in my mind at all. And the artwork is awesome. Uh, Neil Adams and D Dick Giordano, do I need to say anything more? Uh, just, I just thought it was terrific. I really, really enjoyed this story. Uh, for what it's worth, Mike's Amazing World tells us that it's reprinted in Limited Collector's Edition C43 from 1976. Which is where I think I know this story from. But it's funny, while you were giving your synopsis, I was looking that up myself. I'm, I've got Mike's Amazing World open right now. And I definitely remember that cover to Limited Collector's Edition C43. And it's got Superman flying Santa's sleigh you know he's underneath it holding it with one hand and streaking off into the sky and you've got Santa Batman Wonder Woman somebody from House of Mystery and then Sandman and Sandy uh in the sleigh 
and man, I really remember this this cover, but for some reason, this is not in my collection, so I don't know if I lost it or sold it or gave it away or what, but that has to be where I know it from because it wasn't reprinted again until Christmas with the Superheroes number one that's got the cover by John Byrne. Now, I have that one in my collection too, but I mean, that book is like from the late 80s. Yes, so, yeah, that's from '88. It's Christmas with the Superheroes number one. Yeah, it's also in Batman Illustrated by Neil Adams, Volume Two, which is a hardcover from 2004. Right. Showcase presents Batman Volume Five trade paperback from 2012, and Batman Illustrated by Neil Adams, Volume Two, which is also a trade paperback from 2013. So it's right. been reprinted many times. So uh, and it's I think gotta be that one. So. Yeah, it's got to be that that limited collector's edition is what, yeah. what I know because I mean this is a story I remember from my childhood, and that book was printed in uh, in '76. So it's got to be that one. It's just odd that it's not in my collection anymore. I'm gonna have to see about replacing it or something because uh, I'd, I'd like to. And it, you know, I'm I imagine this would look awesome in that. Uh, that oversized format, you know, yeah, that the, sure. the limited collectors mm. were in. Well, let's call out to the listeners. If anybody has an extra copy, you should send it to me. But if you have two, <laughs> send one to Scott as well. <laughs> you could have the second one. <laughs> you guys, you guys are such whores. <laughs> yes. That's how I get free stuff. Uh, you, you don't see you getting issues of F Troop in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I joke and I joke, but I, I, I was very happy to get my issues of F-Troop. As, as bad as the stories are, they're, they're just kind of a, a kind of a fun oddity to own. So I don't, I don't want to make little of it because I, I enjoyed receiving them very much. But back to this story. I'm curious to hear what you guys think of it. I think it's awesome. I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's funny because... I don't want to misrepresent. There's there's a friend of mine, and I want to say it's Michael Bailey, but like I say, I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent Mike if it turns out that it's not him. But I remember there's some somebody who's a friend of mine. I remember ripping on this story and being like, oh, I just don't like it. it's so silly, Batman singing carols. But I think that's part of the charm of the story is that Batman eases up. You know, he allows himself to get to get swept into the the spirit of the season. And I like that. I like that a lot. I like that at first he's, you know, he's very stolid and he's, you know, he's just being Batman. You know, well, you know, crime doesn't take a holiday. But Gordon, you know, finally gets him to relent and, and kind of joins in with the men. And I, I like that he's being treated like part of the force. You know, he's in there with the other police officers. And I, I really enjoy that. I think that's I think it's not I think it's a really sweet Christmas story is one of the things I like about it. And I have always liked the part where the little blonde kid steals the package from the lady, takes it into the alley with his friends, opens it up, and it's a Batman. And this was at a time when, like, the Migos were out. So I always imagined this was, like, mm. Mego Batman, you know, because I had that at the time, you know, when I when I read this story as a kid. Did you steal it from some lady? Uh, no. No, I did not. <laughs> no, because that would make the baby Jesus cry. But I, I love this. You know, they, they see the Batman figure and they're just like, whoa, you know. And so he rewraps it up and, and takes it back to the lady. I, I really like that. I, yeah, I like um, that kind of like the mystical elements of the world kind of combined to have the Batman influence stopping these crimes or tragedies. Right. I consider them, even though in, in order to let Batman take a rest and 
let his you know let himself relax and enjoy the Christmas carols. Yeah, because his influence is still keeping everybody straight on every one of them. You know, every one of them was right. influenced by Batman in some way or another to not do the tragic turn of events that would happen otherwise. Right. The only uh, the only criticisms I have of this story, and they're they're not harsh criticisms by any stretch, but. I've never understood the sequence with the lady and the GI. I, what the hell is happening here? Is yeah, she about to commit suicide? Or yeah, that's what she I was thought. clearly going to commit suicide. No question. Yeah, because well, I, like I don't know. I guess. Hmm. I guess you could say she she could be committing suicide because what you else don't is know. She doing? Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. She's reading that letter. Did did, did she get a you know? Sorry, your fiance's dead. Husband, you know. No, because that's her husband. I'm thinking Tom. it's it's like, either that she get or she got a Dear John letter. Yeah. See, I'm 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 like when I first saw it, I was thinking that he was dead until he got off the train, and then obviously he's not. So now train. I'm I'm thinking. Which, no, he got she off thinks on a, he's dead. No, he's on a he's on a truck that rolls onto the bridge. Jeep. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, okay, it's a truck. Yeah. yeah, right. How how he happens to find her there is beyond me, but that's. Uh, but I'm thinking that she thinks he's dead. Because why would well, you? New York City's small. People run into each other like this all the time in the comics. Yeah, it's Gotham. Oh. It's Gotham. Oh, Gotham. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Well, Gotham is supposed to be Jersey, right? Metropolis is supposed to be New York. No, that's bullshit. I don't that's, know who came up with that, but Gotham is New York City. Metropolis is New York, and Gotham is like grittier, dirtier New York, but. I've heard that theory too that Gotham's supposed to be Jersey. I reject that theory. I think that's bullshit. Well, I think isn't, yeah, actually isn't reality Blood, Bloodhaven's the, supposed to be Jersey, right? Well, in reality, Gotham is New York, Metropolis is New York, Bloodhaven right. is New York, Star City is New York, Central City right. is New York. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. They're just a bunch of New Yorks, yeah. But I thought go. actually Metropolis is supposed to be in like Delaware, right? Technically uh, in the DC universe. No, it, I thought it was supposed to be in Kansas. Uh, no. Is it? No. Uh, I don't know. Isn't Smallville supposed to be in Kansas? Smallville's in Kansas, yeah. And aren't they in the same state? No, I don't aren't think they, so. Aren't, isn't, isn't Smallville a suburb of Metropolis? Well, it isn't a TV show, but not. I don't know. I don't, I'll have to go back and re-listen to Crisis to Crisis. Well, it's it's one of those things that, you know, they, I don't think it was ever firmly established. I think the thing that's established Smallville... And Kansas and all that, I think that actually comes from Superman the movie. Up until that point, I don't think that that was ever really established. For that matter, I think what established Metropolis as New York was very likely Superman the movie, too. Because in that, they make very little effort to oh, yeah. disguise the fact, you know? Oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even think it's a matter of them not making an effort to disguise it. I think they, they, wanted, they come right out and want it to be New York. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, because yeah. they fly by the Statue of Liberty, don't they? And and right. the uh, the yeah. Daily Planet in in the uh, in the movie is was actually the Daily News building. Right. So I mean I I don't think there was any effort to try and give you the idea that it was anything but New York. Right. The other thing here is at the end of the story the weird uh, Commissioner Gordon ghost thing makes no sense to me either. No, I think that's just let, that, that's just to let Batman be the only one know that knows that that something went on. You know what I mean? Nobody else is aware of it, but somehow Batman is now. Right. And that that's that's the the only purpose that I see to that. Uh, and are they all just polite, like like those cops that are sitting there when 
the commissioner hangs up the phone. Are there are 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 they all just kind of like not looking at Batman because they're thinking, "Wow, did he just flip out and like punch at the right, air?" Right. Yeah. What the hell was in? What, 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 I can't believe I eggnog? sang with that guy. <laughs> did did he have some like bad bat eggnog or something? What the hell's wrong? <laughs> uh the the art though is just oh, it's beautiful. But like so I said, Neil Adams nice. and Dick Gio, Dio, Dick Giordano. How how wrong yep. possibly go? Yep. I mean, no, the, the, the two of them could uh, could scribble incoherently on a piece of paper and draw something better than most artists. Yep. This 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 Batman costume reminds me of the Super Friends Batman with the with the smaller ears, the smaller cowl ears. Yeah. Kind of takes me back to my childhood. You know, I, Adams is one of those guys I've heard quoted several times saying how much it really pisses him off when he meets fans at conventions and stuff that immediately ask him, you know, why don't you draw stuff like you used to? You know, basically saying, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you as good as you used to be? But, you know, I look at this and, and I look at some of the, the newer stuff he's putting out and I'm sorry, Neil, but, you know, I, I got to agree with those people. Why don't you do more stuff like this? You know, because this is just it's so richly detailed. It's just gorgeous. And a lot of the stuff he's putting out these days is is kind of just rushed and scratchy looking to me. But you know, this this and Aparo's Batman are you know this is what I think of when I think of Batman. These these are the Batman that I see as his and his and Aparo's. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you look at that the second page of the story, that second panel with it's just you know Commissioner Gordon. Talking to Batman, it's just a very simple panel, but everything there is like that's quintessential Batman. You know, the capes wrapping itself tightly around him as the wind whips and everything. It's just ah, oh, love it, love it, love it. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I, even the pictures of him singing in the in you know in the crowd, I just really good stuff. It, it, it makes me think of the Justice League Unlimited episode when he sang at the end. Yeah. Am I blue? So, so every time I read, you know, the words of them singing a song, uh, I pictured Kevin Conroy singing it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would totally buy a Kevin Conroy Batman Christmas album. Play the hell out of it too. <laughs> they should have adapted this into an episode of uh, of either Batman the Animated Series or Justice League. That would have been awesome. Y- you know what? If they could do for the man who has everything, there's no reason they couldn't do this as well. Yep, I agree. I agree. Did you give letter grades on this? Well, I can't give a letter grade to the cover because the cover was unrelated to this story, so I'm not. Right. I'm not going to bother. Right. Uh, but the uh, artwork, I'm giving an A plus. I just think it's awesome, mm-hmm. and the story, I'm giving uh, I'm giving an A plus because I think it's really good. You know what? I'm going to drop the story to an A minus just for a couple. Just a rather just a regular A. Uh, for a couple of the little weaknesses that we said, like as far as like with the lady or in the bridge and stuff, but but that's it. So I'm just giving it overall an A. A. Yeah, I think I would agree with yeah. that. I I think I would I think I would go uh, taking coloring out of the equation because I think there's some odd coloring choices in a few places, but taking just strictly the the pencil and ink work on this A plus, which. Uh, I can't remember rating anything in A plus quite yet, but uh, but yeah, I mean this this is the very definition of A plus art in my book. It's beautiful, and I don't find any flaws with it anywhere. Um, the story, I would say, 
eh, between an A and an A minus, only because the the well, actually, this I guess it would be more of an art grade. But again, I I don't I've never understood the sequence with the woman and the GI. I still don't quite know exactly what's happening there. And the part with the uh, with the ghost of Christmas or whatever, the spirit of Christmas speaking to Batman through Commissioner Gordon or whatever the hell's going on in that sequence is just a little silly. It doesn't ruin the story or anything like that, but it's just one of these sequences like, what is supposed to be happening there? But, it, you know, it's so short and, you know, the story overall is very short, but it makes the point, you know, that it was trying to make. And I think it's powerful and uh, and I enjoy it. So, yeah. Straight up A's, good stuff. Bakta. Oh, I mean, I I agreed that uh, this, you know, Neil Adams, that it's, uh, you know, this is early in his career, but still, it's 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 an A. Well, of course, obviously, he said there's no cover, but um, for story wise, yeah, this is the first time I'd actually read this. So really? This, yeah, yeah. Like I said, the DC. There's a lot of DC stuff that I that I only have little bits and pieces of, and other sections that I have a great deal of. And oddly enough, I don't have a lot of Batman. And um, you know, this was this was a pretty cool story. You know, like like I said, the way uh, like we said earlier, the way the 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 spirit of Batman is keeping Gotham City straight, even when he has the night off and and helping people out. So yeah, I, I would give the story uh, an A and the artwork an A, all around A for this. All right, solid A's. I guess it's time to move on to story number three, or book number three is probably a better way to say it. Scott? All right, that's me. So for this one, we're going way back. We're going back to December 1957. This is by Dell Comics. This is a Dell giant comic. It is entitled Walt Disney's Christmas in Disneyland. Wait, 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 wait. Is this book older than uh, Paul? Yes, it is. Yes, wow. it's considerably. Just by a little bit. It's, and this, this, is... Book is, this book is old enough to be my older sibling. <laughs> <laughs> and this uh... thing is still on paper. Wow. <laughs> Are you sure you're supposed to be doing this book here and not on Earning My Ears? No, 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 because there's there's things with with this one I I couldn't necessarily do on earning my ears. So, <laughs> but it all will re- be revealed here shortly. So, like I say, this is a uh, uh, build right on the cover as a giant comic, and they ain't kidding. This thing's like a hundred pages. Original cover price on this thing twenty five cents. So if you were a kid in nineteen fifty seven getting this one, paying a, a whole quarter for it, you were getting your money's worth. Because man, it is jam packed, and it uh, it took uh, quite a bit of doing to get all the way through this book too. It was, oh, you, it was quite the meaty little read. You figure the reg- a regular book at that time would be twelve cents, right? So it's like double the price, and it's more than double the size. So I guess. Yep. I guess the price is fair considering. Mm-hmm. I would I would think so. Now, I had some trouble with credits for this particular book. I dug all over the place and uh, couldn't find a whole decent list of credits on it, but I'll give you what I got. The cover on this is by Tony, and I have no idea how to pronounce this name. It's spelled S-T-R-O-B-L, so Strobel, Strobel. Yeah, I'd go with I have no idea. Uh, and uh, Norm McGarry, who did the painting, because it is a painted cover. Oh, that's not a that's not a photograph. Well, the the in the center is a photograph. It's um, 
So what you've got here is you've got headshots of Mickey, Donald, uh, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, uh, Donald's three nephews, Huey, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. You've got uh, Uncle Scrooge McDuck, and you've got Chip and Dale. These are all painted, beautifully painted uh, headshots of those characters. And they're looking inward of the cover to an inset picture of Sleeping Beauty Castle with this giant, this beautiful giant red Christmas tree uh, in front of the castle. So that's uh, the cover on this. So yes, the in the center, that is a photograph, but everything else is a painted cover on here. Uh, again, like I said, 25 cents on this one. The story inside is actually entitled, same as the cover, Walt Disney's Christmas in Disneyland. Or... I have an alternate title for this one. Santa Claus racks up the misdemeanors. <laughs> so again, all will be revealed. So it's Christmas time. Well, duh. Santa is out busting his hump for all the little children's over the world. When in one household, he comes across a note from siblings, Timmy and Taffy. Yes, Taffy. I, I don't know. Don't ask. I never heard that name either, but uh, it's, it's a boy and a girl. A note from Timmy and Taffy asking that Santa not leave any toys, but instead what they want for Christmas is a trip to Disneyland. Sure, why not, says says Santa, and he rounds up the not-in-bed-where-they-ought-to-be kids and whisks them up the chimney to his waiting sleigh. Soon the... what? So, the, so that's kidnapping right there. Okay. Uh, 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 don't be spoiling ahead. <laughs> okay. Soon the trio arrives in the happiest place on earth. Santa does it right, kicking off their grand circle tour of the Magic Kingdom by starting an adventure land. As they make their way down the Irrawaddy on the world famous Jungle Cruise, Santa relates the first of several vaguely Christmas related stories to the kids. This one concerns Donald Duck his nephews, and Uncle Scrooge McDuck getting shipwrecked on a mysterious island at Christmas. Art by Carl Barks. I could not find a story credit on this one. Uh, It may be by Barks as well, but the art is most definitely Carl Barks on this. From the explorer's boat, Timmy, Taffy, and Santa climb onto a stagecoach for a ride through the wild and woolly west. Santa is at the reins delivering presents to the teepees of the quote-unquote friendly type Indians of Frontierland. And oh boy, would this sequence catch a lot of (laughs) flack these days. While he's busy, he placates the kids with a comic book called Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse and Goofy in the Iron Horse to Lonesome Gulch, which I don't think ever actually existed in the real world. But, by strange coincidence, the second Disneyland-related comic ever produced, also by Dell Comics, was Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse in Frontierland. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Anyway, in The Iron Horse to uh, Lonesome Gulch, script by Carl Falberg and art by Paul Murray, we see Mickey Mouse and Goofy working as train engineers at Christmas time. And I think this serves as a solid life lesson to children young and old that it is so important to manage your finances well, or else, because as we see here, even internationally renowned film stars can find themselves eking out a living and working the holidays if they're not careful. From the old frontier, the happy trio dash over to the world of the future, Tomorrowland, and a ride on the Astrojets. Now, I was really curious what space-themed uh, space story Santa might relate. But instead, we get a a tale of uh, Chip and Dale 
trying to rescue Jiminy Cricket from the clutches of Br'er Bear and Br'er Fox with art by Paul Murray. It was cute, and it was nice to be reminded of a time when the Song of the South characters were big stars in the world of Disney, but I do wish that it had been a truly Tomorrowland-themed uh, story you know, in this part of the book. From the rocket ship, Timmy and Taffy follow Santa to another quote-unquote fun ride, and I was like, why do they have the word fun in quotes? I, that was just really odd to me. Uh, the trio take the Skyway to Fantasyland. Old-time Disney fans are probably going, because ah, a lot of these things are not there anymore. Uh, on the trip, Santa tells a tale of Scamp, the dog, and he's the son of Lady and the Tramp, and his attempts to make his parents proud of him for Christmas. That's the Christmas present he wants to give them. Again, art by uh, Al Hubbard in this part. Moments later, Santa, Timmy, and Taffy are chugging merrily through Fantasyland on the circus train Casey Jr., Along the way, they pass the home of the Big Bad Wolf and Son, where Santa leaves presents and relates a tale of the wolves by Carl Fallberg and Paul Murray about Little Bad Wolf helping Br'er Bear find his sons, Billy and Tilly, in a snowstorm. And I thought this was cool because I didn't know that Br'er Bear had kids, so I thought that was interesting. <laughs> With a hop, skip, and a jump, the uh, happy threesome find themselves flying through the air on the Peter Pan ride. Talk of Peter and the Lost Boys inevitably leads to mention of Captain Hook, and Santa relates yet another Christmas tale, again by uh, Fallberg and Paul Murray, that of the time he was captured by the famous pirate and his villainous crew. Santa quickly leads Timmy and Taffy into a mining car headed for the Seven Dwarfs Diamond Mine. Now this part... Uh, really threw me because while I consider myself a student of Disney and definitely have an interest and knowledge of Disneyland, uh, I've never actually been there personally and I'm by no means an expert on Disneyland. So this depiction of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, it, it got me really excited, but it also really confused the heck out of me because, well, you know, it thrilled me because here we are 57 years later and there really is a Seven Dwarfs Mine Train today at Walt Disney World. Uh, it just opened this year, and it's you know it's become one of my personal favorite uh, new attractions. But what confused me about this is that it shouldn't exist here in this story because there never was <laughs> a Seven Dwarfs Mine Train prior to the one that exists now, and it definitely never was one at Disneyland. So I'm guessing since everything so far in this story is based on attractions that actually really did exist in Disneyland in 1957 that there's it's got to be based on something that was there so I'm thinking it was either Snow White and her adventures or the Rainbow Caverns uh, mine train and you know since this part of the story takes place in Fantasyland I, I guess it's got to be the Snow White ride so anyway Regardless of all that, uh, I found this to be like amazingly prophetic in the, the description uh, that's, that's depicted here of something that would really come to exist over five decades later. I just thought that was really cool. So while they're on the ride, the kids are told a tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at Christmas time in which six of the dwarfs are trying to help Dopey get on Santa's good list so he can get a present. What's odd here is that in the first panel of the story, Snow White is shown coming into the room where the dwarves are from upstairs. So either she lived with the dwarves for a lot longer than I ever gleaned from the movie, or she and the prince are having a spat, one of the two. So all good things must come to an end, and finally, after more rides and fun, it's time to leave Disneyland. 
As Santa takes the kids home, Timmy notices a bunch of puzzles and games have tumbled out of his sack. Santa tells him to keep them, and after the conclusion of the story, which sees Santa whisking away from the home of the sleeping contented children, we are treated to 10 pages of said puzzles and games, which I thought was, you know, it's really nice. The back cover on the book depicts uh, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Mickey's nephews, Morty and Ferdy, Goofy, Uncle Scrooge, Grandma Duck, Huey, Dewey and Louie, and Donald Duck ice skating on the frozen moat surrounding a much too tall and snow-covered uh, Christmas-bannered Sleeping Beauty castle. It actually looks much more like Cinderella's castle, but of course that wouldn't come to exist for another 14 years yet while these uh, cute little forest creatures look on. So, that was a long synopsis. Now, before I get into my notes and my feelings and my observations on this issue, I'd like to offer an alternate take on the goings-on in this issue. Now, believe me, I am all about making magic. I'm all about Christmas and that sort of thing, but I'm all about making magic, right? It's kind of my thing, not to mention it's kind of my job, too. You know, I could almost forgive the possible charges of child abduction against the big guy and, you know all of that but you know what i what i can't forgive is santa entering a disney park after hours and screwing walt disney out of 10 bucks which was the general admission of one adult and two kids buying three big 10 ticket books you know back in 1957 so you know santa you know the message i want to send here is you know cast members gotta eat dude <laughs> so with that in mind, here's a list of charges against one S-Clause that I caught just on cursory skimming through this issue. There's probably a, a whole bunch more. I'm not a lawyer. I only play one in a podcast. Child endangerment. Willful endangerment. Contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Two counts. Illegal parking. Breaking and entering. Violating restricted airspace. Tra uh, trespassing. Theft of services. Allowing a minor to operate a motor vehicle. Grand theft stagecoach. Racial insens insensitivity, failure to wear a seatbelt, fa failure to restrain children in a motor vehicle, uh, second count of illegal parking, not keeping off the grass, operating a vehicle without working headlights, taillights, or use of turn signals, and disturbing the peace. That said, I rather enjoyed. <laughs> I rather enjoyed this issue. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was very lighthearted. It was kitty fair. I can see where a, a kid, you know, back in '57 would have would have just thrilled to this. And I liked the the general layout and the nature of the thing. Um, I like that each sequence uh, had a very distinct feel in the writing and and most especially in the art. Even though some of the sequences. Uh, were drawn by the same artist. Every single sequence in this feels like it's a different artist, and I kind of like that. The only art that's consistent through the entire book is the bridging sequences with Santa and Timmy and Taffy. Those are all by the same artist, but everything else feels very different to a point where I thought maybe these stories were reprinted out of somewhere else, but as far as I was able to determine, these are all original stories written specifically for this book. So it is kind of a, a true uh, anthology in that aspect. And I like the insights into, you know, some of these other Disney characters. Because like I said, I had no idea that like Br'er Bear had kids and stuff like that. So I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, I this is not my thing. This is not my bag, you know, as, as 
interested as I am in Disney and everything, of course, uh, you know, the Disney comics is just so far out of my wheelhouse. This is really like the first Disney comic I've ever really sat down and solidly poured through. So it, it was fun. The only reason I even own this comic is that, you know, with my obsession with all things Disney parks, I've been trying to actively collect um, any comics that actually have taken place in a Disney park. There are precious few of them when it comes to Walt Disney World, but uh, you know, back in the 50s, there were a fair number of them that actually took place at, at Disneyland. Um, just a handful, really, but um, I think uh, of the ones in my collection, I don't have them all yet, but of the ones in my collection, I think this was the first one I ever got. So when we came up with the idea of doing Christmas comics, you know, for this Christmas episode, this was uh, this was kind of the first thing that jumped into my mind. Is like, hey, I've had this comic sitting around now for a couple of years. I don't think I've ever really even cracked the cover on it before. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot and see what I thought. And uh, it was a lot of fun. This is, you know, not my kind of comics. This is not something I could I could read all the time. But I got a kick out of it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's. It's just it's a throwback to a, a, a simpler and more innocent time, and uh, and I liked that, and I liked you know looking back and seeing who were kind of the 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 big you know who were the popular Disney stars back at a time like this, you know before some of the the more current characters that you know kids today would be more familiar with. It was I, it was a real trip to see uh, uh, Song of the South characters featured so prominently in this because they've kind of been. They've kind of been forgotten over time. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. What did you guys think? I, oh, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. You go first. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm just playing the games at the end here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody already did the stinking Christmas. I know, man. It's like, yeah. <laughs> in, in my comic, yeah, in my comic, somebody had done the, the puzzles as well, which is, oh, yeah, which is yeah, disappointing. Your comic. Yeah, you did it. No, you did. <laughs> who's, who's Morty and Ferdy? Those are Mickey's nephews. Really, I didn't. I didn't really realize. I guess maybe I knew their names, but it never. I looked at those names and was like, "What?" Those are two, his two accountants' nephews. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I look at this, and and in order to like really be fair about it, I think I have to do what I've done in the past and say, uh, if I got this book and I was eight years old, what would I think of it? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if if I try to, to look at it through that type of prism, uh, I think the book is awesome then. I can't, as, as a 52-year-old man, sit here and read this book and get giddy over it. Right. But I, but I think if I were a kid on a long trip and my parents handed me this book, I, I would be poring over this all day. Uh, and, and, you know, just to, to try and look at it objectively, I think some of the artwork is really nice. Uh I like the fact that it has all these Christmas stories, and I think they're kind of fun. Uh, so, you know, overall, I'd give it a pretty positive review, even though, like you say, this isn't clearly isn't for me. But I, but I think it's a solid book, and I think it it serves its purpose, and it it's it's it, it serves the audience that it's intended for. Uh, if I owned this book, which I don't, uh, it would be more or less to own it for the sake of the nostalgia factor of owning it, not so much because I would have a love for the story or anything right uh you know but but again i think it's very solid so i i i have no problems with it at all uh i i, I think it's it's just good fun and like i said you know i could just see i could see like i said being eight years old and sitting there on on christmas and being given this book and and 
you know, while while the adults are doing boring stuff, I sit there and read Disney all day. Mm-hmm. And you keep in mind too that this this would have been in the days before VCRs and DVD players and cable and all of that, you know. So uh, this is something that back in that day a kid really would have sat with it all day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My my book. copy of this thing. I mean, granted, it's fifty seven years old, but even beyond that that point is uh, it's well loved. I mean, you can tell that whatever b- little boy or girl owned this. You know, originally, you know that they they poured through it and and it was well read and well loved, and you know as you say, you know in, in a time before reruns and VHS tapes and DVDs and all that sort of thing, you know, with with Disneyland being a fairly new concept, you know, in in Christmas of '57, it had only been around, you know, like two, not even quite two and a half years. You know, this was a means of getting your fix. You know what I mean? For for a little kid looking mm-hmm. for just anything more Disneyland to, to read. So I kind of see it that way, too. I, I, I also wonder if the things that you say, you know, they didn't exist back then. Uh, I, w- I wonder if it wasn't, you know, in the plans, in the workings. You know, it took years and years and years for them to finally get around to it. But I wonder if, you know, it wasn't part of uh, Walt's ultimate vision for what the park was going to have in it you know sure sure absolutely i mean uh you know disney history is is replete with you know concepts and ideas that they came up with but it took decades to actually realize because you know maybe the the technology didn't exist or you know the idea got put in a in a drawer somewhere and then somebody you know cleaning up or whatever digs it out you know 20 30 40 years later and goes wow why didn't we ever do this let's make this happen kind of thing so yeah speaking of like things that that disney conceived of but took past his death to occur did you know that dr bill hates epcot yeah i heard that i heard that we're gonna have a conversation about that at some point (laughs) i I, I thought i put him in his place but you know i'm I'm sure you have uh, some thoughts about it i love donald duck though and chip and dale and any cartoon with bears because some of my favorite cartoons are the ones with the bears especially with the bears and donald duck or the bear or chip and dale and donald duck so it was nice to see bears chip and dale and donald duck in this comic my <laughs> favorite thank God one he didn't have epcot in there that's right if they were in epcot i would have been i would have just lost my mind <sighs> what did you think of it bill well i don't know i don't want i <laughs> what did you say? What did you say? A lot of truncating is going to go on there. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first I was like, a hundred-page book. Oh my God, is he going to synopsize every single story? So it was. I like the way he just kind of glossed over the stories. But you know, so actually, I did read a couple of these. They were kind of funny. Then I got a chuckle the, out know, of them. The stories are not bad. The only, the only story, honestly, that uh, of because I, I did read, even though I didn't synopsize every single story, I did read actually the entire book because I kind of got sucked into it. Um, but the only one that just, you know, y- y- I read it and I was kind of like, okay, that was a stretch. Was the Mickey and and Goofy story with the with the train and everything? The train. Yeah. Yeah, that one just doesn't it. Yeah, it's not connected enough to to Christmas or whatever. It's it's yeah. You you kind of read it and you're like, all right, this one just doesn't really work. But uh, yeah, I mean, not the kind of comics I could I could read. You know, like every day. This was this was like just a, a fun little one off. And I mean, I 
you know, I own this much for like what Paul said, you know, just the nostalgia mm-hmm. factor of it, you know, just just own it to own it, you know, as, as a piece of living history or what. But it was fun to, to go actually go through the stories and really try hard to like put myself mentally, you know, in the shoes of, say, you know, like a seven or eight year old kid in in 1957, you know, what would they have thought of this, you know? And that was really what I was trying to, you know, to go for while uh, while uh, perusing through it. Plus, just trying to get a feel, you know, as a as a comic, you know, collector, what a feel for this style of comic. Because I've heard so many glowing, wonderful things over the years about Carl uh, Barks's Duck stuff, but never had checked out any of it. As a matter of fact, I, I'd have to be honest. And say I've kind of stuck my nose up at that stuff all these years. Like, yeah, I don't really care about that. But having read my first exposure to it here with uh, with the Donald Duck story that is in here, I mean, it was enjoyable. I can see what people see in it by this one story that's in here because it does have a very. Um, I've I've often heard these adventures compared to like Indiana Jones before Indiana Jones. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I can see what people you know get out just, of them you just know, like the, the whole, general plot like yeah you know, not the the cartoon action but but, but the just... ones the ones that i heard were the ones that you really need to look to see the quality with carl barks was the uh scrooge mcduck stories right and and i haven't read any of them so i can't i can't tell you that they're right or wrong uh right. but i think i think you know those are the ones that they're using as the uh the measuring stick to judge him by. So I think you know we'd have to read some of those to know. Uh, I, I get the impression from hearing people talk about them that the stories are a little bit more sophisticated in that they would appeal to children and adults. Right. You know they have some of that humor that children wouldn't get in there without ever being racy. Right. So, you know I, I would I, again I'd have to actually read it which I haven't but uh, I, I've heard they're very clever. Yeah, the other thing that uh, that took me aback just a little bit in this was Scamp the Dog, because although I have not seen it, I'm aware that there's a, a movie out there. I'm not sure if it was a direct-to-video or not, but it was a sequel to Lady and the Tramp. It was Lady and the Tramp 2. It's like called like Scamp's Adventure or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was all entirely made up. And then to see that, no, you know, here you go, 57 years ago, here he is, you know, in the comics or what, that's pretty neat. I had no idea that that's actually, you know, that that coming up with that sequel film comes from something that has existed as far back as this. I think that's pretty cool. I that that was completely new to me. I was I was familiar with the existence of Scamp and that, you know, lady uh, popped out a litter. Uh, But but. Yeah, the movie was, I think, in the 90s, and it was directed. Yeah. Mm. I have no idea about the quality of that either. I've never seen it. Yeah, But, but, I, 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 but I was familiar with the existence of the character uh, for quite some time. That's cool. Now, I wanted to watch the live-action Peter Pan thing that was on this past week, but I wasn't able to. But mm-hmm. I haven't really heard a lot of good things about it, and I don't know if either of you guys watched. Like, I walked by and saw one or two scenes, and I saw where Christopher Walken was playing Hook, and he looked kind of just tired they were doing a dance number and i was like i i gotta i i had i had some studying to do for a a test coming up and i was just like so i don't know i didn't really see any good good reviews about it did you guys get a chance to watch it uh somebody i work with said that they watched it and loved it but that's the that's the first and only good thing i've heard about it so far um 
Mm. Yeah, I, I really hadn't heard much at all. See, my my daughter the is other. a huge uh, Peter Pan fan. Uh, she, you know, over the years she's watched the cartoon Peter Pan movie. I, I couldn't tell you how many times. So I, I DVR'd it for her, and we haven't actually had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. And I hadn't heard any reviews of it one way or the other. But it is something that we will get around to watching on the DVR at some point. Well, well, we'll have to have the Spataro family Peter Pan review. Uh, that's always a possibility. Does she like Hook? Uh, I'm not sure she's ever actually sat through Hook yet. Oh, so I, I will have hmm. to expose her to that. Yeah. She was, if you, if you'll, I don't know if you'll recall, but when we were at Disney, she was disappointed that she didn't get a photo op with Peter Pan. That's right, yeah. I do mm. remember that now that you mention it. Yeah, I do remember that. Hmm. That was, you know, we just saw him uh, that first morning when the uh, train pulled in and all the characters come off. And he was in right. that. He was in that group, but we never did manage to get a picture with him. Oh yeah, that's right. He, they were on the train when they came in, right? With the mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Now, you used to see him kind of running around, um, you know, just kind of freelance through the through the park, you know, where yeah, you might be able to freelance. catch him. I'll never grow up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't actually seen that happen in quite a while. So I don't know if there's a regular spot or or meet and greet or whatever with uh, with that character or not. Well, you see, from from when we were there last year, it looked like things have changed from when I had been there in the past. It, in, in the past, it seemed like it was kind of like you caught characters when you caught characters, and they would just happen to be wherever. Uh, right. But last year when we were there, it seemed like it was very regimented, that there were scheduled times for the characters to be in certain places, and that that's where you needed to look if you wanted to see them, and that was it. Right. But you know, you but you could schedule your day around finding them if there was a character you wanted a picture with, or you know, to have the kids get excited about seeing you you know you could look at the schedule and find out when and where they were going to be around right uh, so you know it's it's a, to me it's a double-edged sword because it's it's nice to be able to guarantee that you're going to see certain characters or like we did uh, last year particularly in, in epcot bill uh we had the schedule of where the characters were going to be and we went out of our way to do a bunch of photo ops with a lot of them Mm. But it it does take away that little element of surprise and kind of excitement that all of a sudden there's a character you didn't expect near you, you know? Right. But overall, still Epcot. It's awesome. (laughs) I agree. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable assigning a letter grade to this only because, as you say, not written for us, you know? So I, I don't know I don't know how I would even go about grading something like this. Plus, it's such a jam piece. You know, you'd almost have to to grade it each individual section as opposed to to grading it as a whole. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna grade it for you. I'm gonna tell sure, you. Sure, go ahead. Because I'm gonna grade it from the perspective of trying to put myself into the eight-year-old Paul's head. That's what and, I, I, and this, I I I was gonna do that too. I was gonna go wee. This this book <laughs> that would be my that would be my grade. <laughs> if this book was just handed to me at eight years old, like I said, first of all, I would sit there reading it probably all day, and I would read some of these stories over and over and over again. So I'm giving I'm giving the uh, the story from an eight year old perspective an A. I would also probably sit there with sheets of paper and try and copy. I don't know how many of the renditions of the characters in here. Mm. So I'm giving the art an A. <laughs> the cover, I'm going to give a B plus. It's just not as exciting as it could be. There we go. All right. Well, uh, all right. I'll try to. I'll try to give a grade to it then. I tried to approach this 
very because this this to me this is kind of the analogy I tried to draw in my own mind is that as a kid you know I got hooked on Star Wars when Star Wars came out in 77 and it was like Star Wars was everything you know but they're they're the only way to go see it was to go see it you know there was no videotape there was you know it didn't play on TV yet or anything like that so the only other real fix you had was you know, if you saw pictures in a magazine or you had, you know, the storybook with pictures in it or comic books, you know, when Marvel was putting out the, the series of comic books. So that's kind of what I was thinking that this must have been like back then. You know, you, you'd catch the new episode of Disneyland TV show every week when it would come out, but it may not always necessarily be about the park. You know, you'd get different, you know, episodes every week and you never quite knew exactly what they were going to be. So this, you know, in comic form was kind of that fix for a kid, you know, to get a little more Disneyland, just a little, you know, a little bit more exposure to it and uh, kind of wander through the park with with Santa and these children. So from that approach, uh, you know, with with going through the different lands and then having an adventure with with the actual Disney characters in each of the lands, I think as a kid, uh, and I don't know how we came up with eight years old, but eight works, I guess. I think I would have thrilled to this the same way I did thrill to to Marvel Star Wars. So in that aspect, yeah, I'd probably have to give the story an A as well because I, I did enjoy even reading it now. I enjoyed it. Um, again, not quite my kind of comics and not something I could sit down and read you know every day or every week. But I, I got for what it was, you know, this one-off Christmas thing. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. So yeah, I'd give an A to that. Um, the artwork varies wildly throughout the issues, so it's kind of tough to grade the art. But there were definitely some sections I really liked um, art-wise. I really liked the art in um, the story with uh, with Br'er Bear, you know, going to look for Br'er Bear and his kids and all that. I, I thought that was probably the strongest art um, in the story. Well, that and the uh, the art in the Donald Duck sequence as well. The Carl Bark stuff was just awesome. Um, the art in this in the story with Mickey and Goofy was the weakest I thought of the entire book, and that includes the bridging sequences, which aren't particularly strong art-wise either. But at least I was able to to follow it and enjoy it for what it was. The cover is it's very strange, you know, because you've got a, a photo in the center and then you've got, got just these headshots around. But I think it's a strong cover in the sense that I love covers from back during this time when they would really uh go all out on the artwork and i mean you, you don't go you can't go any more all out than painting you know painting the cover on these and a lot of these dells just had beautifully painted covers on them it could be a little more colorful it could be a little more dynamic but overall i really like it and i i find the choice of a red christmas tree to be both really odd but strangely like beautiful at the same time so i kind of like that I, I like the cover i'd say the cover's a i'd say like a b plus i guess it could, it could be a little better um but overall i really like it. i like the painted style of it it just gives a certain character and richness to it somehow but yeah that's all i got on this i you got know, a kick out of it i think the cover if i had to take a guess that what they're trying to go for with the heads the heads could be representative of Christmas ornaments because it's just a head. There's no neck. They're right. just kind of floating there in space, like they're circling the tree picture. I, I right. kind of picture them as or, as ornaments. Although I am perplexed as to why there's a fire hydrant in the picture. 
<laughs> there is, isn't there? <laughs> I just noticed it. I There's didn't a fire even, yeah, I didn't even notice that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I hadn't that's, seen that either. Get <laughs> this big red Christmas tree, and off to the left, right by Scrooge's eyes, there's a like he's looking at the fire hydrant. See, I'm seeing the heads as symbolic of death. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to be too deep and mysterious. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. 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 All right. Oh, sorry, Zod. The heads have spoken. You're out. Well, having finished covering our books. Uh, I just want to take a minute to uh, wish all of our listeners a, a real happy Merry Christmas uh, to everybody who celebrates it. To everybody who doesn't celebrate it, I'm hoping you have somebody in your life that invites you over who does celebrate it and that you don't go through the day with nowhere else to go. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! But I also want to uh, wish my two very, very close friends, Scott and Bill, a Merry Christmas as well. And a Merry Christmas to you and yours, sir. Merry Christmas, guys. And I'm sorry I made the baby Jesus cry because I don't like the backside of Epcot. (laughs) You're going to get the backside of my hand. (laughs) I'm sorry. I like the front. We didn't get to do anything in the front. All right. I'll give you the front of my hand, too. But how could you not like the World Showcase? I mean, what the hell is wrong with you? I, I, I don't... <laughs> what? A man's allowed to have likes and dislikes. It's not... Okay, not let, me, let, me, let me phrase it this way. I liked it when I went with Scott because I had somebody who could show me things. If I was on vacation and I paid money for that and I walked through that, I would be like, what the f*** did I waste my money on coming that through the so back sad. side of this? That is just so... I much, I really enjoy the Magic Kingdom so much more, and I enjoy uh, you know MGM I, Studios okay, so okay much with, more. I like them more. I'm okay with that. Everybody can like what they like. I just don't. But to, sit, never, to sit here and tell me you don't like Epcot, I mean, I, it's just everybody's entitled honest. to own opinion. I, I everybody's be, entitled to think what they just, want, but you're just you know, wrong. I, 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 you know, I could just, oh yes, I love, you know, I, you know, forgive me for voicing an opinion that is against the norm. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to hurt Scott's feelings. I, well, you, you hurt know. Scott's feelings. I didn't you hurt made Scott's baby Scott feelings. Cry. He made me drink that shitty soda. He deserved it. <laughs> that was like drinking gasoline, man. Oh, you didn't like that? Do you I not remember I, the pictures you took of me? I was just gonna say I couldn't tell by the face that you made that you didn't that you didn't dig it. I think it took a year off my life. <laughs> 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 That's okay. One, one of my friends went to Epcot. Go, go ahead, Paul. Say it. Oh, you got friends? It's amazing because you don't like Epcot. <laughs> People who don't like Epcot shouldn't be allowed to have friends. <laughs> oh. But, but <laughs> she she went and drank that. She's oh my god, I drank some. I'm like, yeah, you drank the Beverly, didn't you? Yeah. Mm. Uh huh. Yeah. You drank Ooh. the Bill Kool Aid. The Bill. That was nasty. That's 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 not even urine tastes better than that. Not that. <laughs> That I would know. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Curse you, Spataro. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness.
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Mine won't work if I turn it on now, I don't think.